We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. This past week has been a hard one for Chicago and maybe an especially hard one for my guest, Father Michael Flager, as the city of Chicago prepared to bury police officer Ella French killed during a traffic stop Father Flager, senior the pastor of St. Sabina Roman Catholic Church, presided over the funeral of a graduate of the parish's grade school, also lost to gun violence. When your church stages weekly peace marches, I imagine a death like that hits hard. This weekend, we're going to talk about the gun violence, the church, the community, and more. I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. Father Michael Lewis Flager has been a Catholic priest since 1975 and the pastor at St. Sabina's in the Auburn-Gresham community since 1981, and he's been a presence to be reckoned with ever since. He's evolved into the Chicago Archdiocese point person when it comes to speaking against the gun violence plaguing the city, but he also speaks out about injustice, inequity, and apathy. His parish and the parishioners do not sit on their hands. Well, let's get the disclaimer out of the way first. Uh, As I always say, my wife and I do not go to church as often as we should, but when we do, we go to St. Sabina and we have for more than two decades. Father Flager will probably tell you that has not stopped me from asking him tough questions. Uh, We are conducting this interview via Zoom conferencing. And Father Mike, thank you very much for taking the time. Thank you very much, Greg. Appreciate it. Um, Father, tell me what this week has been like for you. We were there last Sunday and saw the grief of the family of uh, Marquise Richardson. His funeral was Wednesday at the church. He had just graduated from the school. Yes, he had just graduated. He was also in our summer program. He was actually in our peacemaker program, which helps equip young people to be team and, and peer leaders about peace speaking and peace creating in their high schools. Um, And he was getting ready to go to Morgan Park and wanted to be a leader in helping his peers speak and talk and, and, and guide peace in our neighborhoods and in our communities. And his life was snatched while at his grandmother's house, sitting, talking with a friend out in front and a car driving down the block, um, doing what happens so often now is springing to just hit somebody for whatever reason. And he was shot in the head twice, um, was taken to um, the hospital. He was in Christ Hospital, an intensive care unit. Um, 
laid there for more than a week. They were trying to do everything they could to, to, to reach him to survive and, and to make it. Um, I went up there in the hospital and it was heartbreaking to see this young 14-year-old lying in a hospital bed unconscious and all these tubes in him. And what was primarily more uh, or as, as, as unnerving was having a nurse say to me, there are many hospital emergency rooms where we just see young babies like this fighting to live. Uh, we buried him um, out in the cemetery and I'm talking to one of the grave diggers in the cemetery. And his brother was probably 25 years old says to me, I'm so angry about all the babies I helped bury out here. We are in evil, evil times. We are burying dreams on the streets of Chicago. Um, and that's absolutely unacceptable. It was horror. I, I believe, Craig, and I say this all the time, there is no great, we can draw demons and draw devils and horns and pitchforks and the rest. There is no greater symbol of evil to me than seeing a child lying in a casket. And, and so sadly, as you point out, funerals for children are becoming all too frequent. You've had, you've had too many of them at St. Sabina. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's got to be crushing sometimes. It is, and it's it's um it's funny. I was just speaking to our faculty, and I, I told them, you know, I deal with guilt and deal with anger, and saying, what are we not doing? What are we not? What could we have done more? What more can we be doing? Because I'm seeing these babies. You know, last week I, I buried a 22 year old um, who was shot and killed at Jackson Park. Um, it it. it it just tears me apart. I find myself crying more often than I'd like to at night, thinking about these lives and hearing parents call me, not only talking about the loss of their child, but then they don't even have money to bury their child. So I feel guilty. How did I fail my child? Um, it's just so painful. And the trauma, I looked at those kids last Friday, we did a, a march in honor of Marquise of his classmates and friends and the rest. And to see young children so traumatized and in so much pain and so much hurt. And, you know, we, we, we hear all the time, you can't help um, soldiers do with their trauma and their stress while they're still in the war zone. You gotta bring them home and then deal with it. But our kids live in a trauma zone. They live in a war and you can't heal when you're at war. Um, and, and what does it say about the kind of violence that we're seeing um, when in the same week, the city also buried uh, a police officer, Ella French, who by all accounts was a person who wanted to reach out to young people and help the kind of police officer that you would want to see on the streets of Auburn Gresham. In fact, a, a police officer who would want to be yeah. in a neighborhood like that. Well, I think what that tells us, Craig, is that nobody's safe. You know, Officer French was an innocent victim. Marquise was an innocent victim. 
Um, the van who we buried a week ago was an innocent. I see so many innocent victims. Um, and I, I, whether it's a police officer or it's a 14 year old child, we've got to become outraged and horrified and angry that this is allowed. Um, you know, I, I heard many folks from, from the street say after, after Officer French was killed, there's this anger and outrage of a city about Officer French, which there should be. But there's not the same anger and outrage when it's one of our children. And we've got to somehow understand that anybody that gets shot and killed in the city, we have to be outraged by. I, we fail, you know, and I, and I believe we failed as a city. Our city leadership has failed. Our law enforcement, our corporate have failed. We've, we've ignored and abandoned communities that lack resources and opportunities um, and, and equality and equity. We've also failed as a community. We failed as a community that has allowed this kind of, this murder and this, this blood in our streets to go on and we sit back and we, we become traumatized or paralyzed or in fear or whatever. So we have failed all the way around, I think, and we are seeing the results of that. And we've got to somehow say, this is not acceptable. It's not acceptable for an officer French and it's not acceptable for a Marquise. It's not acceptable for a city where nobody can feel safe. And when it comes to expressing the outrage and the anguish over this, um, talk about the peace marches that St. Sabina's led. Now we're recording this on Friday. There's one of the final ones uh, of right. the season tonight, uh, another in two weeks. What good do they do? Well, I hear so, several things. I mean, a lot of people say, well, March isn't gonna work. Let me tell you what March does do. It comes out and we go to the areas where there's been most tension in the past. We, we talk to the commander and then find out where's the areas where there's been the most tension. That's where we go. We don't go to the safe spot. We do it at night. Friday nights are typically the most violent nights of our week. Um, we go out to give hope to people. We talk to people. We share with people. We give information about resources we have, how somebody can help a young person that's got a record um, on parole, just come out of jail, whatever. The resources we have, our King Center, which just deals with young brothers and sisters who are feel lost, feel hopeless, feel forgotten and abandoned. It also gives hope to the neighbors that there's people out there that we can still turn this thing around and challenging people to take up the responsibility, being the landlords of our neighborhood we need to be. Um, but it also, um, I think, gives us the ability to let people know we're not backing down. We're not, we're not becoming consumed with it and overwhelmed with it. We're going to continue to stay out here and let you know we love you. We believe in you. We can help you. And there are some every week that as a result of our Friday night march, somebody calls on Monday to our employment center, to our food center, to the church needing help. And then sometimes just two or three or four weeks later that some brother calls and says, you know what? I'm tired. I got this card. You said you can do this for me. Can you do it? And allows them to know, to know there is a place that's there when they're ready. So I, I think there's a whole lot of, of good that comes out of it. And it also for the members that come and that march every week, it reminds them, this is our responsibility. These streets are our responsibility, not just 
long as it doesn't happen in my backyard. No, the community, the neighborhood, the streets, this is our responsibility. Father, what is the city doing right about this and what is it doing wrong? Well, I think what they're doing, what I hope they're doing right is they're trying to improve policing and trying to improve intervention and create more officers like Ella French and understand that every officer ought to be a community policing officer, that relationship with the neighborhood and the community and the people are absolutely essential. I think they're doing that right. I think what they're doing very wrong is that although we keep hearing, you cannot uh, police our way out of this, that all we keep hearing about is police, you know, police going on 12 hour days, which is absolutely ridiculous to me. We already have this stressful job for police officers that is very hard and very difficult. And now we're extending it to 12 hours a day. Whereas one officer told me two things happen with that. Either you're going to be so tired and exhausted and mad at what you have to do that you're going to make more mistakes, or you just step back and say, you know what, I'm just going to put on my hours. I'm not going to do anything in, a, in, a, in an aggressive way or a caring way. I just want to go home tonight safe. So we're not doing the other resources we need to do. We're not, we're not engaging the young people, engaging the neighborhood, the community. We have to understand that Miss Jones in her particular block or neighborhood may know more about the solution to what needs to be done than the mayor or the governor or, or, or the, the Cook County board president or the police superintendent, but they're not engaging her. They're not listening to her. We're not engaging our young people. We're not talking to them. So we're not empowering the neighborhood to be part of this process. And if the neighborhood doesn't buy into it, if the neighborhood doesn't doesn't empower itself and get engaged again, we're never going to solve this issue. And a reporter said to me the other day, Craig, which really hurt my heart, but I said, wow, he's probably right. He said, my feeling is looking at what the city is and is not doing, we're just going to see this bloodshed continue to rain until we get into winter and then the numbers will go down some. And I thought, my God, you know, we're talking about coordinating city um, agencies was announced a week ago. Uh, by the mayor's office. We're in August. This is stuff we should have been doing in March, getting ready for the summer. But here we are talking about now trying to coordinate and trying to look at this like we looked at COVID. We came together as a federal, state, and city united and empowered and did everything they could to empower communities and neighborhoods to deal with COVID but we're not dealing with, dealing with it with violence. There's not the resources, there's not the connectedness, the big line, all in Illinois, all in Chicago, but we're not all in when it comes to violence. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm Craig Delamore. My guest is Father Michael Flager, senior pastor of the Faith Community of St. Sabina, and we are recording this interview via Zoom. Um, I want to ask about another aspect of this, though, um, even with the coordination, even with dealing with the, the poverty and the disinvestment in the communities, there's still, it seems, something going morally wrong. 
to have the kind of heartless violence that we're seeing where it's, it's becoming normal for young people to shoot at a crowd. It's becoming normal to hear about elderly people being attacked. What is that? Where is that coming from? Well, a lot of people of faith may not like this, but I really believe, Craig, that the greatest institution that has failed both Chicago and America is the faith institution. More than government, more than corporate and business, more than educational, we have failed because we're living in a moral bankruptcy. And, and this, the spirit of our young people, um, religion has failed desperately. Christians, Muslims, Jews, across the board, we have failed miserably. Um, we have not been the prophetic voice um, that we need to be to the powers that be and to the pharaohs of this land. And we have not been the prophetic voice to those that sit in our pews. And we have not been the, the agent of change where we are in our communities. Look at this, we it may be 10,000, I don't know how many thousands of churches in this city. You can go two blocks and find four churches. What if we ever as church really understood, at least as Christians, the gospels, that our mission is not who comes in our pews on Sunday morning, but the community for which our church is planted. What if every church decided they were going to take three blocks, north, south, east, and west, and said, this is our territory where we're going to talk to our young people. We're going to try to create a moral compass and, and, and be a moral voice and help people understand the value of their life and the value of each other's life. What if we did that? If we really ever did that effectively, we wouldn't even need police because we would have churches and mosques and, and synagogues that accepted the responsibility for the neighborhood and the community, but we haven't done that. We sit inside the walls of our churches and, and, and we try to deal with those folk in there and, and keep up our collections to keep our buildings going. And we forget that what makes us a Christian, a Muslim or a Jew is not what we do in the mosque, the synagogue or the church, but what we do when we go out those doors. We have failed in our responsibility. We've got to get young people, first of all, to help value themselves again, to know their greatness, to love themselves. You know, I talked with a group a few weeks ago and I said what they value most. One said a phone, one said gym shoes, another one said some outfit they have. And none of them said me, my life. You know, they have no hope. Somebody said at the funeral the other day that, you know, I have no hope for tomorrow. When our kids have become hopeless and they don't value themselves or each other, then they do desperate things. And, and the other part of that is we have not helped our young people process. You know, a guy who was a shooter told me one time, he said, I, I said, why? Well, you just shot somebody. Why, why did you do this? He said, because I'm angry. And I said, yeah, we all get angry at different things, but there's ways to process your anger and, and, and help deal with your anger in a righteous way. He's the only one I know to deal with my anger. Somebody killed one of my friends. I'm going to try to kill one of them who did it to my friend. We haven't helped our young people process their hurt, their anger, their trauma. And so they take it out how best they know. Um, and that's young people and that's adults. We're so traumatized. We, we've created such an atmosphere of pain and hurt that people take out their, their response to it in evil 
and, and wrong ways. And we've got to get into the hearts and the minds, talk to our young people, not demonize them, not push them aside, not throw them to the street. Get inside their minds, their hearts, and their souls. We've got to do that as church. We've got to do that as parents. We've got to do that as neighborhood again. Uh, I want to turn to when we talk about prophetic voices. Uh, yours was effectively silenced for part of this year. Um, and so we should talk a little bit about that, the headlines yes, and the allegations of uh, sexual abuse that interrupted the work there. The diocese and the authorities found no basis for the accusations, but uh, the uh, cardinal had to take you out of the parish and the pulpit for five months. How did that affect the, the, the mission at St. Sabina and how well have you been able to get things back up to speed? Well, I think it affected because we everybody was hurt by it. Um, people had questions. People wondered what, what has happened. I, I know I was personally, when you're suddenly pulled out in two hours to find a place to live, find some lawyers, and, and this accusation was made, and we're about to send out a press release to the city, let him know about it. And you're then told the only thing you are able to say publicly is that you're innocent. And you can never defend yourself or your accusers to speak of that and all the rest, you just, you're, you're bound by silence. And then hear different people in the media and the rest saying, we wonder about this because Flegger always speaks out so much and now he's not speaking out at all. And they don't know I couldn't speak out at all except to say I'm innocent. And then the church is hurt because you can't come and address them saying, listen, let me tell you about this. I couldn't share with them. I couldn't share with the public. Um, so you, you, you are separate and the church struggled, church suffered. It was a, you know, people who are already struggling with racism and poverty and, and violence. And now another issue, now their past is removed. Um, and what does that mean? Um, so it was difficult and we lost funders who said, you know what, I trust Father Mike and my relation with, with him, this program he did, I believe in. And they stepped back and said, you know, until we find out what's going to happen with this, we can't donate. You had people that stopped going to church until we found out what's going to happen. So all of these, the different after effects of it. Um, so coming back um, meant me trying to restabilize in the church, restabilize funders, and, and then also back on the mission. You know, I spent my first week back at the end of May doing nothing but planning everything we were going to do this summer, our giveaways, our block parties, our marches, um, our food giveaways, our, you know, all the programs, putting them all in effect. I did nothing for a week but plan and then sent this, went, you know, into a 10 mode of all the things we were going to do this summer to get back on our track as who we were as a church. So it was very difficult. It was very painful, uh, most painful period of my life. Um, felt isolated, felt abandoned, felt forgotten, felt um, um, attacked. Um, yet it, it was the time I realized my faith was the only thing I had to rely on. And same with the church. And the church did continue, you know, the, there was this element of the church that we're going to continue to go on, we're going to continue to worship. They fought, they went through rallies, they went through marches, they had press comments. So it was grateful to see people that said, wait a minute. We know him for 46 years and we're going to go on what we know and what we see and not just what now somebody is saying. Uh, and then other people throughout the city, um, people who grew up with these accusers and recognized them on this, on their behind the screens um, and said, no, no, and then rise up and, and stood up. So 
you know, and I thank my lawyers and my canon lawyers. So it was a difficult, a painful, horrible time. What kept me going, though, Craig, was my faith and my love for St. Tobias. I said, St. Tobias stood by me and I'm going to stand by them no matter what I got to get through to come back and um, and be back in the place I believe God's called me to be. And people are coming back and, and you, you had to contend with the church had to contend with COVID. Uh, through all yeah. of this, but people are coming back, but it's still the church isn't as full as it, as no. it has been. No, it's um, you've got you had the five months of kind of this all this challenging going on. You've had a year of COVID um, and isolation. And I, and I say this, I was speaking with a group of pastors the other day, and I said, you know what? We have to understand our mission right now. And I know you've heard it and you heard me Sunday. I'm very strong on telling people who are at home because here's three things I think happened during COVID. I think number one, people were afraid um, and rightfully understanding, afraid of this disease, afraid of dying, afraid of loved ones dying. So it became fear. So people, fear was accentuated, you know, and people were at home. Then you had the isolation you know, of people where depression came in and the isolation made them feel alone and, and abandoned. Then you had the people who got into a habit of being at home and watching church. Not only could watch it virtually in their pajamas, have their coffee, have breakfast and enjoy saying, oh, I can see church virtually now. This is, this is good. Then you had the people who stopped going to church altogether, who stopped watching, stopped coming and did other things on Sunday mornings. Um, um, so you had all of that. And then you had, and I, and I, I say this, and I, uh, it's probably not easy to say or to hear, but, you know, there's been so many mixed messages in this COVID, you know, and I think rather than, than the medical field saying, hey, we're finding this out as we go along, they try to pretend like they had it, you know, they knew it. And so one week, you know, if you've been vaccinated, you're fine, you're good, you can go anywhere, you don't need masks, you can be around unvaccinated people. Other than the next week, oh, if you're vaccinated, you still got to wear a mask. Um, then it was, you don't need a mask anywhere. Then now we're back to indoors, you have to wear a mask everywhere. So there's all these mixed messages. So you had a lot of people, you know, particularly we see one of the largest areas that is not unvaccinated is the African-American community. Yes. And there's already a mistrust of government, rightfully so. And then with all the mixed messages of vaccine, people saying, you see, we're different every week. It's different every time there's a press comment. I don't trust it. And so they step back from it too. So you have all this going on. Then you have the pastor taken out. And then you have an increase of violence going on in the city. And people are overwhelmed. People are afraid of the violence, afraid of COVID, afraid of being back with people again. So you have all this in the mix. So our job, I believe, as the faith communities is to overcome this fear with faith, to invite people back, to be cautious, to be careful, but to understand we cannot live in a virtual, in a Zoom, in a disconnected community. We can't. If we ever needed to be more connected right now with this violence in our neighborhoods, in our blocks, it's right now. And yet the virus and the violence have us disconnected we only have about a minute left but okay. i just very so this is a very has to be a very quick question and answer 
Yes, sir. Renew My Church, the Archdiocese is reevaluating parishes, and a team was at St. Sabina last weekend. Should anyone be worried about the future of St. Sabina? <laughs> well, I was just at a meeting two days ago, and um, I think Sabina's is going to be fine. Um, I think that we have to continue to be uh, strong and be self-sufficient and that and serve the community. I think churches that do that will survive this. Um, and I think we're going to, I think we'll be all right. Um, I'm going to always fight for St. Tobina. <laughs> and uh, I believe in our futures and our future, our future, I think it's going to be great. And I think you, you have found St. Sabina will fight for you. <laughs> I have found that. And that's been a blessing. Um, and that's a close on this. This is what I think we have to do in the future. Fight for each other, for our children, for our blocks, our neighborhoods, our city. We have to fight for each other. And we can. And if we do, we win. Father Michael Flager, senior pastor at St. Sabina, the activist senior pastor there. Thank you very much for spending that half you. hour with me. Love you, brother. Thank you so Love much. You too. Uh, to our listeners, if you like a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website at wbbmnewsradio.com. There should be a link on the homepage. You can also find our podcast on odyssey.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.